I stand before us this morning with a word of encouragement. Uh, we've gotten several warnings from the book of Hebrews, and we need warnings. But throughout the book of Hebrews, and really the, the bottom line of the book of Hebrews, it's, it's one word of encouragement after another. And this morning I want to encourage us in the Bible itself, and particularly one portion of the Bible called the promises of God. The reason God gives his word is because he wants a relationship. If you sit next to somebody and they never talk to you, they probably don't want a relationship. The reason we talk, the reason we communicate is we want a relationship. God talks because he wants a relationship. And, and this, this book is his language. This is his conversation. And everything in here he speaks as really a love letter to you. When I was a brand new Christian, someone challenged me with this thought. And the thought was this. If, if you find reading the Bible boring, it could be because, um, you know, the, the Bible, if you find it boring, it could be because the Bible was written for somebody else. But that is to say, the Bible is clearly written for God's children. And if we're not connecting with what the Bible is saying, maybe you're not his child. That's, the, that's what I got from this. And I, and I went back and I thought, am I a child of God? And I settled that matter firmly. And once I settled that matter, that I am a child of God, not based on who my parents were or the church I go to, but I'm a child of God because of my faith in Jesus Christ and what he alone did for me, and I'm reborn as his child. Once I settled that matter that I am a child of God, I began to love reading this book because this is God's love letter to you and to me. And to this day, that was a long time ago that I settled this matter. But to this day, there's nothing I would rather read than the Bible. There's few things I would rather do than read the scriptures. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I love Jesus. And I love hearing his words. And I love feeding on them. Now, the first thing that happens when, when I exhort us like this is the first thought that you have, and this is a thought that I had early on, was, but the Bible is so huge. I mean, it's just, it's daunting. It's just too big. This is a big book. It's, it's just too big. Well, um, this morning, with a little help from my friend, Kadeem, Kayvon, I'm sorry. I knew I was going to do this, and I apologize. I'm not used to the name Kadeem, and I'm learning that one, and I'm not used to the name Kayvon, and I'm, so I knew I was going to uh, cross paths on this one. But with the help of my friend Kayvon, uh, we're going to break down the Bible for us this morning in a way that we can get a handle on it. But but first, I want to just open to us Hebrews chapter 6, 
And this particular treasury contained in every book of the Bible, almost on every page, this treasury called the promises of God. Now it says here in Hebrews 6 verse 12, it says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So God wants you through patience to inherit the promises. Now anything that's labeled our inheritance, we ought to read carefully. If you've got a certified letter in the mail and you open it up and it says this is your inheritance and you look down and you see a bunch of zeros and a bunch of commas with a couple uh, numbers in front, especially if it's got a few commas, you're going to read carefully what your inheritance is. I'm telling you, the promises in the Bible are our inheritance. That's what they're called here. It's the inheritance that comes by promises. Then look at the next verse. Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Okay, now let's just pause on this. This in many ways, this promise of the blessing, this one to Abraham is a prototype template of every other promise in the Bible because every promise in the Bible is to bless you. Every promise. But here, the particular one given to, to Abraham here, it says explicitly, this promise is, I will bless you. Yes. Now, every promise in the Bible is a promise of blessing. God promises you blessing. And it's your inheritance to be blessed. And that's why God gives us promises is to communicate his loving blessing to our lives. And he wants us to get every bit of our inheritance. That's the point. Now, does it come immediately? Are you going to cash in on the promises immediately? Well, no. Listen to what it says in verse 15. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Some promises come quick. God, God gives you a promise, and you cash it in, and he answers quickly with that promise. Some promises, you have to wait a long time. How, how many years did Abraham wait? Well, he had a promise. You're going to leave your father and mother. You're going to leave your homeland, uh, leave those that talk your language and look like you, move to another area and, uh, that I'm going to show you. He didn't even tell him where. I'm going to show you, and there I will bless you and multiply you and make, give you offspring as many as the stars in heaven and the sand of the, of, the, of the Sahara. So, but how long did it take for Abraham to cash in and receive the promise? Well, he got that, what was he, 60, 70 years of age. He didn't get it in his 70s. He didn't get it in his 80s. He didn't get it until he's 99 years old. So he waits at least 30 years to get the promise. I mean, that's a lot of waiting. But, but he held on. Why did God do it that way? And here's the deal. And this is, this is the reason God gives promises. 
He, it's why he gave promise to Abraham, and it's why he gives a promise to you and me. He gives us promises so that we trust him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust his heart. That you trust his word. That you trust his ways. And the reason is because God loves faith. God loves faith. Later in Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about that. It's impossible to please God without faith. God loves faith. And God wants us to put our faith in him on the basis of his promises. So powerful. This is our inheritance. I can almost tell you how you are growing in your faith and in your relationship with God by are you holding on firmly to promises that God's given you. If you are not holding on to promises, you're not growing. Your faith isn't growing. You're not maturing. God gives us promises to develop our faith so that he can strengthen our love relationship with him. It's why we have promises. Now, I love this one, verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. And, and, and this whole thing back to, to um, verse 13, God having no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. I mean, what are you going to do? Tell God, God, put your hand on the Bible and say, so help me God. I mean, that would be... I mean, imagine telling God to put his hand on the Bible. I mean, this is his word. Or, or to say, God, you should say, so help me God. Well, he's God. I mean, everything he says is so help me God. It's, he's God. We swear by him and with the Bible, but, but he doesn't need to do that. That's the point of this. It's, so, it's so, so perfect. Now, some promises are called promises. There's a lot of promises in the Bible that, that's called, the, the word promise is there. But that accounts for like, 0.0001% of the promises in the Bible. Most promises are just statements. I will. Like this one to, to Abraham, it doesn't say, that, oh, this is a promise. Neon lights, this is a promise. No, it's just surely I will bless you and multiply you. I will. Anytime God says I will, that's a promise. So oh, look for the I wills in the Bible. And often, by the way, often God's I will is right next to a command. And this is so cool. You do this and I will do this. Ask and you will receive. I mean, it's not an I will, but it's, it's as good as an I will because it's God speaking that you will receive. Knock and the door will be open. That's a will. Uh, God will open doors when we knock. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It doesn't say it's a promise, but it's a will statement. It's a promise. And it's right next to a command. You draw near and he and I will draw near. Or tithing. Tithing is like one of the most counterintuitive things we're asked to do. None of us are givers by nature. 
When we're born again, God converts our, 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 our miserly, uh, selfish instincts and, and turns us inside out to where we start giving. But when God says to us the first time, I want you to start writing a, a, a tithe check, a full 10% of your income every pay period, and give it to God, um, that's, that, that it cuts across the grain. But notice what it says. Uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and test me in this and see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing you cannot contain it. You see the, the connection. Something we're told to do right next to what God's going to do. But now, here, here. So, so in this book, there's really only three types of literature in the Bible. There's only three streams that run through the Bible. There are promises. There are commands. And there's history. That's what's in the Bible. The promises that run through the history of the Bible, they all the promises are ways God wants to show you how much he loves you. And he wants you to trust him, to love you in the ways that he says he will love you. That's what the promises are. And right next to the promises are the commands because the commands are God's way that he's given us to show him how much we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So he's given us commands that run through the whole Bible that give us ways to show our love for him. And he, right next to the commands, he's given us promises that show us what, how he wants to love us. And in that is a relationship. You put the commands and the promises together and you have a relationship with God. You've got things that God wants you to do to show how much you love him and you've got promises that tell you of ways he's going to show how much he loves you. The commands and the promises. And then in the middle of it and around it and through it all is the history. This is a history book because our faith is rooted in, in history. These are historic events and ways that God in human history and the flow of history has manifested himself, called people into relationship by speaking his word, by giving them promises to show them how much he loves them, and by giving them commands, ways that we can express our love to him. Hallelujah. That's the Bible. Now it goes on, verse 17. It says, so when God desired to show more convincingly, oh, this is so incredible. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. Let's just pause there. You may have never noticed this before, but you and I here are given a title. Our title, my title, your title is we are heirs of the promise. Would you hold up your finger, please? Just hold up your finger, point at yourself, and say, I'm an heir of the promise. Point it to the person next to you and tell them, you're an heir of the promise. You're an heir of the promise. This is who we are. We are heirs of the promise. Heirs of the promise. Now notice the same word is used here. In verse 12, it's called the inheritance is the promise. The promises are in our inheritance. Here, we are called heirs of the promise. We are heirs because what we get from God, he promises to give us, and we receive it by faith because he loves faith. And then verse 18, so that by two 
unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement, that's what we're talking about this morning, encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Two unchangeable things. So when you read this, it sounds like he only says one unchangeable thing. You see, he announces it by saying there's two, and then he tells you one thing. It's like, well, it's you told me there's two, two unchangeable things. What are the two unchangeable things? Well, the one he goes on to point out is God's nature is unchangeable. That's why he cannot lie. God's nature cannot change. But what he's already been talking about, and he doesn't really repeat formally, but the second thing that's unchangeable are the promises of God. The oaths God's taken. Every time God said, I will, I will, I will, those are unchangeable. They're unchangeable. So by two unchangeable things, one is God's character and the other is God's word. These are unchangeable. You will never change God's character. You will never change God's word. They are incorruptible. Hallelujah. It's nice to know something is. By two unchangeable things. And then verse 19 really brings us to the, the heart of it all. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what do we have that has gone like a forerunner? We have Jesus. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. And he has gone from here where he's given us the promises and he's now on the other side. He's in eternity back at the right hand of the Father. And today, you and I have promises to hang on to here that are unchangeable because of God's nature and every promise that we have here to hold on to, they are connected with Christ on the other side. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus because they're all connected to Jesus. That's what this is saying. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. So Jesus we have by virtue of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit points us to the promises that are all connected in Christ so we can today receive from Christ what's promised to us as heirs of the promise. Hallelujah. I want to show you something the word promise is used in the book of Hebrews 15 times. Six in, in this chapter, which we've already read. But then chapter 7, verse 6, bless him that had the promise. Chapter 8, verse 6, the mediator of a better covenant that was established on a better promise. Chapter 9, verse 15, might receive the promise. Chapter 10, verse 36, might receive the promise. Chapter 11, verse 9, the land of promise. 
Verse uh, 11, 17, received the promise. 11, 33, obtained the promise. And then the last time in the book of Hebrews, the word promise or promises is used is in chapter 11, verse 39. And here, it's the only place you'll find it. It says they did not receive the promise. They did not receive the promise. I love how honest the scripture is. Have you ever held on to a promise that you didn't really receive from? I have. Have you ever battled for someone facing death? God often brings them back. But have you ever prayed for God to bring back somebody that ended up dying? I have. One week ago, Friday night, we were here in prayer, and we were battling for my friend's wife. Uh, Tim Henning is a pastor buddy in Alabama, and his wife uh, got COVID, uh, went into the hospital, went into ICU, went on a ventilator, her kidneys failed, and we were battling for her life. The, the more we prayed, it seemed like almost the, the worse it got. And uh, it was like 12.30, just after midnight, in the wee hours of Saturday morning, one week ago, yesterday, she died. God didn't answer the way we asked. We did not receive that. But I'm going to tell you what we did receive. We receive the assurance of two things. And these are the irrefutable promises of God. That anyone who dies in the Lord is in the presence of God. Fully healed, fully more herself than she's ever been. That's a promise. And the second promise is Nothing can separate us on this side of heaven. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. In other words, he will never leave us or forsake us. That's a promise you can take to the bank. There's a lot of promises between those two or around those two or outside those two that you can often cash in on, but maybe not always. But those two are anchors. That when one person trusts in Christ, they are forever belonging to Christ. And they will be with Christ. And if God does not answer prayer on this side the way we pray it, we will see them again. And our, frankly, our best days are ahead. And we who are left behind will never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have his presence, his loving presence. We have his peace we have even his joy in the midst of heartache and trial. And we certainly have his healing. And that's no consolation prize. And we still have the promises that go through to the other side. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to give us some examples of promises. I want to put a few up here. So, here's a promise, 1 John 5.13, that promises you, 
not only salvation, but promises you the assurance of your salvation. If you have been wondering, am I a believer if I die there? Am I sure I'm going to go to heaven? If you've had any insecurity over this issue, I'm telling you, this verse is a promise for you. Let's read it out loud together. Come on, dig in here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a promise. And not just have it, know that you have it. That's a promise. Grab onto this. If you have any insecurity, grab hold of this promise. You're heirs of the promise. This is your inheritance. Don't live your life wondering, if I died, am I going to go to heaven? Re settle the matter today. Receive the promise of eternal life. Hallelujah. And here's one we've looked at quite a bit. This is our year verse. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You mean I can pray? Yeah. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You mean when I pray I can receive things? Yes. This is your promise. If you doubt that, claim this promise. Grab hold of it. This promise is linked to Jesus. He's on the other side. He's seated next to the Father uh, on the same throne with the Father. And this promise is for you. Here's a great one. If you felt weighed down with guilt and shame, like you've, you've messed up so many times, there's no forgiveness for you. Take hold of this promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a promise Hallelujah. that God wants us to take firm hold of. Here's one we referred to, I tell you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. If you've questioned whether or not God hears your prayer, this is a promise. Take hold of it. Take hold of it. And one of my favorites all-time favorite. It's so simple. I like things simple. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Every time you turn toward God, he's turning toward you. You take a few steps in his direction, he's taking steps toward you. You reach out to, to, to touch him, he's reaching out to touch you. You draw near, you seek him, you'll find him. Powerful. It's a promise. This one is one I started quoting when I was in high school. I memorized these words. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Amen. Is it possible for you to get victory over specific sin, habitual sin? Yes. How do I know that? By this promise. This promises you. I, I still think I'm a young man. If I'm not, don't, don't wake me up. I'm... I'm <laughs> So I still quote this, because I, I feel very young. I don't look as young, but I feel young. I still quote this. I've been quoting this for 50 years. And it's, it's helped me. It, I've defeated a lot of sin with this verse. It's a promise. If that one doesn't hit you, maybe this one will. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, that is, your ability to withstand it. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's a promise. 
That's a promise. God wants you to take hold of that promise. Because he loves you. And he loves it when you trust him. And you are able to do things when you trust him that you could never do on your own. That's the point of the promises. To take you beyond your natural life trying to slug it out and receive from him. Hallelujah. Uh, Kayvon, we're going to get it. I'm going to give a rain check. I'm going to give you a rain check. I know you've got some buddies here that came just to see you do your thing. Maybe we should do this anyway. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Come on, my brother. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. You know, it, when, 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 I, when this illustration got, to, got in my heart this week, I thought, Kayvon is the man to help me with this. And when I, I you know, he's kind of new to the church, and I didn't want to make him run for the hills so, uh, or freak him out. But when I told it to him, he said, I'm your man. And I, I know, I know. So, so now here, what, what is this? This is going to, this illustrate, hold up that end if you would, hold it up over your head. So this illustrates, don't yank me too hard. <laughs> this, this, this is the 66 books in the Bible, okay? And, and I want to just show you how this big book is really a very small book. The, the, the longer I read this book, I used to think, oh, it's so huge. How am I ever going to figure it out? Now, it, I'm, I'm not schmoozing you here. I'm telling you, it, it, what amazes me is how short this is. How much God put in this in such a tiny little package. Okay, thank you. So now what we're going to do is, you know, the basic here is the Bible's in two major parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if you would about a third of the way down, if you'd, if you'd make your first, oh man, look at this knife he's got. That is serious. Keith, I wouldn't turn your back on that one. Okay, okay, so, so grab that end too with you and pull it over there and we're gonna spread these bad boys out. Okay, so you go ahead that way and I'll go this way. Yep, there we go. Okay, so now we've got the New Testament is in front and the Old Testament is in the back here, okay? So, now you still say, man, this is huge. This, look at how big that Old Testament is. I'll never be able to understand that. Okay, well, <clears throat> the Old Testament is in three parts. The, the, there's history, there's poetry, and there's prophets. So if you'd snip it, so we got a little middle section here. Oh man, watch this. Look, oh. So, so we're gonna we're gonna divide this up between the, the history, and now we've got the poets. That's uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon is in the middle. And then these are the prophets. Okay? So now we've got the three sections. Okay, run run down over here and just a little ways in here, maybe a third. So this is the history. 17 books of history, five poets, 17 prophets. Say it with me. 17 history, five poets, 17 prophets. Now, what makes it really cool is the history is 5 and 12. 
Five written by Moses. So a little ways in, uh, bust that, bust it off there. Yeah, there we go. So we're going to separate the history that Moses wrote, that's the first five, and then followed by 12. Okay, so we've now got five, 12, five, and 17. Oh, but wait, this is five and 12. Okay, come on down here, Kayvon, and rip it off about here, right about there. It's the, the five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets. So now, now, now it's getting more manageable. So we've got 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. So you got the histories in two sections, the part written by Moses, and the rest of the guys wrote the rest of it. And then you've got the poets in the middle, and then you got the prophets, the big ones and the shorter ones. So that's the Old Testament. Let's hear it from my man. Kevon. Okay, now, now in the New Testament, this is very significant. It starts off with history, uh, busted about here. Um, we got five history books, and the last, the last, come all the way down here, just maybe one foot busted off down here. We got one prophet, one prophecy. So the Old Testament is history, poets, prophecy. The New Testament is history, letters, and prophecy. So now is this coming together? Are you seeing the picture? Okay, now history uh, busted off about here because the history is in two sections. You've got the four Gospels and you've got the one uh, Book of Acts. Okay, now these letters. So there's, there's 21 letters and Paul wrote 13 of them. So busted off about here. And um, so it's Paul's letters, and then what are called the general letters, uh, there's eight of them. So that's the New Testament. So you've got five history, of which it's four Gospels, Book of Acts, and then 21 letters. Paul wrote 13, there's eight others, and then the Book of Prophecy, the Book of Revelation. So, so this is our Bible. Thank you, my man. Thank you, my man. Kayvon! Kayvon in the house! So now, listen, listen, listen to me. In the first five history books, it's loaded with promises and commands. The rest of history, loaded with promises and commands. The poets, it's loaded with prophecy and commands. All the prophets are loaded with commands and, and promises. In the New Testament, the Gospels loaded with commands and promises. The Book of Acts loaded with commands and promises. All the letters, promises and commands. And then the Book of Prophecy of the New Testament, the Book of Revelation, it's full of commands and promises. Brothers and sisters, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? It's dinner time. It's dinner time. It's time to cash in on our inheritance. This book, it may seem big at first. It's amazing what God fit in this tiny little book. And God wants us to mine the treasury of the promises in Scripture. Because we are heirs 
of the promises. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, increase our hunger for your word. Increase us in our hunger for the word. And Lord, help us to, to take the commands, not as challenges to our ego, but as ways to tell you how much we love you. And help us to give us eyes to see all the promises in Scripture that are there to point out just how much you love us. That, Lord, the, the Bible will be our, our, like our workout room that we go to each day to, to exercise. Exercise our faith that we put into practice the things you've given us to trust you for. Increase our muscle, our faith muscle, to, to take the promises of God to the bank of heaven and make our withdrawals every day. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for feeding us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, let's all stand together. We're going to stand and um, uh, let me just speak a blessing and then we're going to sing and we'll be dismissed. But the Lord bless you, church family, and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.